you have to decide as an entrepreneur, what kind of culture are you intentionally creating inside of your organization? Hey guys, it's your girl, Ashley Graham, and you are listening to Business Life and Coffee Podcast with your boy, Joey Price. Hey, thank you for joining this latest episode of the Business Life and Coffee podcast. I couldn't be more excited to have a conversation about the human side of business today. And who better to join us than Esther Weinberg, who is a powerhouse game changer and the founder of a group called the Mind Light Group. Now, Esther's going to tell us a little bit about what she does and how she's impacting businesses across the country. Uh, but take some time, jot notes, enjoy your cup of coffee, and we're going to talk about dignity, leadership, and personal power in the workplace. Esther, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here and to talk to you especially. Oh, I love what you're doing. So thank you for this. I appreciate that, Esther. Now, the one thing that I see, the common word uh, that is on your website and LinkedIn and your activity online is dignity. Mm-hmm. Why is dignity such an important aspect of the workplace? You know, it's an interesting thing. Georgetown University did a survey of about 20,000 employees worldwide, and all of them ranked respect as one of the most important leadership behaviors. But as anyone who works in any organization who leads an organization knows that respect is a tough thing to come by sometimes. And I'm not talking about because people are nasty. I'm because <laughs> I actually think that people are mostly not nasty. Yeah. But I think that because a few things are impacting organizations and people today, if we really think about it. So what's happening is that you've got more generations in the workplace. You've got technology, you've got speed, you've got organizational stresses, you've got different people working inside of companies more than ever, more of global works forces. And so what happens is with the pressures that are happening at work now, we can tend to create an environment that has less respect, trust, and safety, which is how I define dignity. And so when that happens, everything goes out the window. And I'm not talking about uh, egregious behavior, like screaming at people. I'm talking about things, you know, nasty stuff like, you know, you you cut someone out of inviting them to a meeting with you, or you're moving so quickly that it's hard to adapt your style to someone who's talking with you, or why bother developing someone who reports to you when they've messed up a couple of times and you haven't really had a moment to coach them and instead you simply tell them to fix it. So that's what I'm talking about. And I think that that's when in my 20 plus years working inside of organizations, I think that if we tackled the issue of dignity, I think we would have a transformative workplace. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I just wanted to pose the question, why do you think dignity is such a blind spot for leaders? Because that's what it seems to be, right? It's not that people are intentionally lacking dignity, but they just, they don't know that they're not being dignified. Well, I'll give you a good example. Like I had a client in an entertainment company and she believed that one of her direct reports was underperforming. So she didn't want to talk to him about it because she knew in the long run, her boss would never get rid of him because he literally was shut from person to person to person. He was like one of those people that people inherit and not happy to inherit. So she thought, why bother? But when we started talking about this whole concept of dignity and trust, respect, and safety, she 
kind of realized that that she wasn't creating an environment of respect and trust, like respect for him as a boss, that he could shift his behavior if someone was really candid with him about his impact. And the trust that as his boss, it was her responsibility to grow and develop him, including telling him, you know, the complete unvarnished truth. So I think that's an example of what typically happens. You know, there's different cases. So I don't think to your point that it's intentional. I just think that sometimes because of these different kinds of pressures and the way that people interrelate with each other. I remember once there was this great quote that I had read that said that if people would come to work and just do the work, they'd come in at nine and leave at 11. But because they have to deal with people, they come in at nine and leave at midnight. You know, <laughs> So that's why I think all this is at play. And if you think of it too, we spend more time at work than anywhere else. And so what's going to happen is that human behavior is just going to come out in the workplace. And so how you manage them and how you create this environment of trust, alignment, teamwork, respect, safety, that's really the opportunity. And it's not a complicated thing. I believe it's something that needs to be incredibly intentional. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think leadership is such a proactive and engaging and thoughtful and intentional behavior that it requires that level of forethought um, to to have this level of dignity. Um, and my question in that regard is, if an entrepreneur wants to build their dignity toolbox, um, mm -hmm. what are some of the things they should be doing? Are there books to read? What actions should they be taking to help build that dignity toolbox, that dignity uh, muscle? I think that there's a few things. Number one is I think you have to decide as an entrepreneur what kind of culture, I mean, it depends on what and how many people you're leading inside of your organization. I and mean, frankly, if you're a solopreneur, this works too. But you have to decide what kind of culture are you intentionally creating inside of your organization and how do you support that? So, and, and I'm talking about even if you purely have, if you're an entrepreneur that has a staff of one, two thousands, or if you are a solopreneur and even your interactions with your clients or subcontractors or virtual assistants, this works. You have to determine what's the culture that you fundamentally want to create. Then when you approach any environment and interaction, because lots of times this has to do with you're sitting in a meeting and I'll give you an example. Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone wrote this when this wonderful book called Thanks for the Feedback. And they speak about when you're in a, well, they're talking specifically about feedback, but I've seen this happen all over the place. When you are having a conversation with someone and someone's giving you feedback as an example, they say that there's three triggers that set you off. And this is not necessarily any order. Truth, meaning that you're valuing the feedback, like it just doesn't ring true to you for what you know the facts to be in the situation to be. Relationship trigger, which means that you and I don't have the kind of relationship to give me that kind of feedback. And the third is identity. Like I don't know who my, that's not who I know myself to be by the feedback that you're giving me. So you have to know if you go into a situation knowing that in a moment you could be triggered, let's say in a feedback situation, just by those, then is the person giving feedback, whether it's your employee, or even to a client, frankly, you have to be able to sit back and say, which could I potentially set off for the other person and myself? And how am I actually going to be proactively handling that from a very practical standpoint? And then be able to address that in the moment and plan for it. 
quite frankly, right ahead of it. In the same way that if you are going to enter into a conversation with someone, because I find that dignity is all about language. It's obviously in actions, but a lot of it is in language. So if you are going to have a more challenging conversation with someone, I always say that you need to prepare for it by considering these five questions. I call them the five A's. So number one has to do with your feelings. Like what are you, what feelings are you aware of? So the first A is about Awareness, what are you keenly aware of? So meaning what emotions, what feelings are you are you aware of that you're having actually in this very, very moment? The second thing is the other, the second A is accurate. What is the truth of the situation? Is it accurate or is it your own personal interpretation? The third A is acquire. What learning are you meant to acquire from being in this situation? And the fourth is accountability. What is your part in the situation and how do you take responsibility? And then the fifth A is action. What proactive action you can take? So if you're entering into any conversation, any conversation that could be the least bit squirrely, no matter what the situation is, if you apply these five A's, it can absolutely help reshape the conversation. So this way you're prepared for it so that you can make the other person feel safe coming into a conversation like that. So that's just one, ex- those are two examples actually. I will say also that, you know, it's a funny thing about these five A's. I had a client who had uh, someone that he had recently hired to oversee a large scale part of the organization. And uh, the person I was working with was very much, he is an avoider of having very direct conversations with people. He's more passive aggressive, which I find does happen to, to people because it's difficult to engage in conversations that are just a bit more challenging. And so what happened was when he did these five A's, what he realized is that his approach typically would have been a little bit more indirect. You know, sometimes how you beat around the bush because it's a little bit more challenging for you to actually be a little bit more direct. And so for him, as he zeroed in and was more direct, because what happened is the guy that he was giving feedback to, he really had to tell him that although he hired him to oversee a global business, he was actually was not setting it up from a business perspective very strategically. There were certain elements that really were missing. And so by being more direct, because he could clear out exactly cleared his own emotions, his own perspectives, his own feelings, so that he can be present in the conversation, then it had a bigger outcome. Because what happens in environments about dignity, if we're injecting that inside of organizations, is that my experiences, my perspectives, my biases come into the room, and so does yours. And so who has a conversation? You and I, meaning from the present, or our biases, our perspectives, our experiences, That's what tangos. And so at least if one of us can be more intentionally clear on how the conversation needs to go, then what happens is then you can have safety in a conversation because it's very challenging sometimes for people to really speak their truth because there's a lot at stake. So in the example that I just brought up, what was at stake for the leader was that, hey, if I say something to this guy that really sets him off, it's been hard for me to recruit talent. This guy walks out the door. I'm really, I I don't have a bench that backs him up. And so I'm really believe I, this is a growth area for him. And, you know, he could up and leave. That's what his fear was. But when he sat down and really unpacked the situation, what he really realized that the truth of the situation was, this is a moment of growth for both of them. 
for him to step up being from being passive aggressive and for the guy that he was talking to to really become a more global leader and a more strategic leader as he was growing in his profession. And as a result, that's what actually ha- wound up happening. Well, that's an awesome, awesome case study. And I wanted to know if someone goes to your website, what are the ways that you could help someone um, just like this scenario, um, improve their dignity, improve their ability to lead? What can people find when they come to your website? So we have developed uh, four programs that really drive home this whole concept of dignity, or as we call it, really creating a dignity zone around you. And so what that really means is that kind of like what we were talking about before is how no matter what when I walk into a room that I am actually creating this environment, not just for myself, but also for people, for myself and for people around me. I always say you can't give what you don't have. And so it's very difficult for you to be able to project a sense of trust, respect, and safety when you don't really value that in yourself. And it happens. It, it really does happen. So um, what what I'm talking about is, so if you're creating that, that's, that's what I say is that we have this opportunity to create this environment. So we've got four programs, team foundational program, next level leadership, the ultimate mentorship program. And we have a master executive coaching program that all helps organizations to create this environment of dignity around them. Because part of this is a language and an understanding and a context. So we're recontextualizing it and uh, in a very profound way for organizations. That's great. And Esther, um, how can people find you on social media, online? And do you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, so you can find me on, it's easy, just go to my website. That's the probably the best way to do it because you have jumping off points to all different social media through that. So it's an easy way to remember, mindlightgroup.com. And then I would just say one thing is in order to be able to get you know, lots of times people go into any environment and people are reactive. They say, you know, why am I not provided with an environment of dignity? And I would say for you, consider where do you experience dignity at work? Where is there a lack of dignity or where are you out of it? And what can you do to now put in practice or put into place small, small areas? So what do you need to shore up? So for example, do you need to set further boundaries? Do you need to re-clarify expectations for your clients? Because most of the time I have to tell you things go off the rails because people have not set proper levels of expectations. That's where typically things go completely off the rails. So I think if people can sit down and say, okay, where have I been out? How can I reset my expectations with either an employee or a client or my supervisor? I really do think we'd be in much better shape. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at? Only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems. Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to US-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at jumpstarthr. Jumpstart HR, let's build a better business together. Thanks for listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show with Joey Price. We hope you're inspired to become the best version of yourself after listening to our guest. What thought or idea stood out the most to you? Keep the conversation going by tweeting the show at BizLifeCoffee or our host at Joey V. Price HR with the hashtag BLC Moments. 
And if you like what you just heard, pass along our podcast to at least five people. Detailed show notes can be found at www.businesslifeandcoffee.com. And our full archive is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been a Jumpstart HR production. Join us next time for another edition of the Business Life and Coffee Show.